Most of you have seen, uh, if you don't know what's happening, the hub construction that's happening right behind me here. And if you did not notice, I want to encourage you on this beautiful day to have a chance to walk by on Union Avenue here to my left. All of the glass, not all of the glass, but a good portion of the glass was installed on the front of that. And uh, it's looking pretty amazing. So I know there have been lots of questions. When's it opening? It seems like it's been a decade project um, to a lot of you. Uh, I want to thank everybody who's worked so hard. The plan is that we're still on projection for them to hand us the keys at the end of April. And then we need a little bit of time to complete to work on the inside with furniture and that sort of thing. So um, early this summer, it's going to be pretty exciting. Two things that I'm really excited about uh, with the hub is, one, I, I really believe for us as a community of faith, as a congregation, it's going to give us the space that allows us uh, to better connect with one another, not just on Saturday night or Sunday for services, although it'll certainly do that. Hopefully there'll be some lingering before and after service, but even throughout the week, just the space for kids, the lower level, a new kids ministry space, students on the third floor, for, and then for adults as us as well. But beyond that, what really excites me is the window I believe it will give us uh, to impact and to connect with our neighbors, our community, on a Monday through Friday basis. And so it's a game changer for us, but I just wanted to give you a little update and check out the uh, windows. It's, it's coming along pretty well. Today we are looking at James chapter 3, and as Blaine hinted to us, um, they're very powerful words that uh, are very practical for us. And James, and we're going to be talking about how we control our mouth the speech, and the words that we use. And it's a very practical message. You're probably not going to hear anything today that maybe you haven't heard before, but the application piece is where it gets really difficult. And um, that's what we're going to dive into today. As I was doing research, I found out this week that the average person uses about 7,000 words a day. Now, I see some of you are elbowing the person next to you going, I think yours is above 7,000. And that is true. There are some that use more words than others in, in, in the course of a day. But on average, we each use about 7,000 words a day. And at the current state, our population in the world is about 7.8 billion. So if you do the math, on an average day, there are 54.6 trillion words spoken Every day. I wonder, out of those 54.6 trillion words, how many of them are used to bring healing, to build others up, to bring encouragement and speak peace? And how many of those words are used to tear others down? Here's a humbling and even scary thought that out of all of those 54.6 trillion or whatever they actually are, God listens. And he hears every one of them. The psalmist says he even knows our words before we speak it. That's a scary thought. There's a verse in Job. Job says that God remembers all of those words. All of you are thinking about some of the conversations you had this morning. Let me encourage you to do that. Think about over the past few days, over this past week, what are the words you have used to speak to your coworkers? What are the words you've used to talk to your kids, to your spouse, 
to the person who cut you off on the way to church this morning? What were the words you used? Or this person who took your parking lot, parking spot? All of us understand the power of our words. And what's really a terrifying thought is not just the sheer amount of words, but what the Bible says about how evil many of those words are and the damage that they cause. There are at least 21 negative uses of the tongue listed in the Bible. I'm not going to give you all of them, but here's a few. Gossip, cursing, slander, complaining, arguing, lying, flattery, sowing discord, boasting, insults, mockery, false witness. I'm glad that none of us have ever done any of those. Lightning will come down and strike all of us, starting with me. Of course not. Most of us grew up knowing, if not using, the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names or words will never hurt me. And then you become an adult and you go, yeah, that's not true. No, words hurt. In fact, sometimes I'd rather have a bone break than get stung by the words of someone near and dear. Words cut deep. They kill relationships. They tear apart. They destroy. In his pastoral letter to us about godly living, it's not surprising then that James would address the power of our words. However, what may be surprising to us is the connection that he makes in our ability to control our mouth and our pursuit of spiritual maturity. In fact, I would go as far as to say that James says, how you use your tongue. The words that you speak may be the single greatest evidence if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ. James pulls no punches in chapter 3 about how God's people are supposed to use their words. And here's pretty much what he says. Control your tongue or it will control you. Heavenly Father, this does cut deep to all of us. Because all of us know the damage of words, and we all have failed in that regard. There are probably a lot of broken relationships here today because of arguments, because of gossip, because of sowing discord, because of complaining and arguing, because of words that we have used. So now in these next few moments as we look to your word Uh, to see what it says about how we can control our tongue, I pray that your spirit would do its best work in us, that you would operate on uh, this little muscle that hides behind our teeth. Do only the work that you can do. In the name of Jesus Christ, everyone said, Amen. amen. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We do this occasionally. I'm going to ask you to stand, and we are going to read God's word aloud together. When you're talking about words and speech, I don't know if there's a better moment to do that. So if you have your Bible and you want to read it from yours, you can. We're going to go to James chapter 3. We're going to read the first 10 verses. Otherwise, you can follow along on the screen. Here we go. This is God's word for us today. The Bible says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. 
In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes... And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, brothers and sisters, this is not right. Amen. You may be seated. At the very beginning, James fires a warning shot at those whom God has called to use their tongue for his purposes, those who are teachers including pastors and preachers. And as a pastor myself, I can tell you that I read this scripture with a great deal of healthy fear and trembling. He begins, we read it, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. Why? For we who teach teach are going to be judged more strictly. So why is it? Hey, ACAC, if you want to be a teacher, James says, second, just hold, pause there for a moment. You might want to second guess that. Because those who teach, those who preach, you're going to be judged more strictly, James says. And it's because the amount of damage that can be caused when there's not good doctrine that's taught, when there's not good teaching, when you twist God's word, there's a huge responsibility there. But also... It can cause a lot of damage when, how many of you know a pastor stands up here and preaches one thing on Sunday morning and then Wednesday morning or Friday night lives another way. It's incredibly, uh, brings a lot of fear and it's a humbling thought. And James says, be careful to those of you who want to be teachers in God's church because you're going to be judged more severely. You stand in front of people and preach God's word, make sure that you live it out in your own personal life. James says to teachers, to pastors and preachers, control your tongue or it will control you. And then in verse 2, he moves from teachers and he says, okay, all, we, all the Jesus followers, Christians, in the midst of these 12 verses where where James is talking about the tongue, it's verse 2 that may be the most revealing when it comes to giving us a key about what it means to grow spiritually. So here's what I want to ask you today, and it's a bit of a rhetorical question. How many of you want to grow spiritually? Of course you do. You want to grow in your faith. How many of you in those areas of your life that you struggle to control, in those private areas, how many of you desire to grow and allow the Holy Spirit to work and to change for the better, to become more mature? Of course you do. We all desire to have that in our life. Well, James actually begins to give us a solution to those things in the second verse. He writes, indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Right away, James kind of lets us off the hook in the sense that he says, hey, I get it. We all make mistakes. All of us have made mistakes with our mouth. He acknowledges it. 
Again, how many times in just the past 24 hours have we made a mistake by using our mouth in an inappropriate way? However, he doesn't let us off the hook because it doesn't change the significance and the power that the tongue holds. He says, if, if we could control our tongues, look at the connection, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. First of all, here we go again, we see this word perfect. For the third time, third week in a row, chapter 1, James references that word perfect, teleos. Last week, James chapter 2, he references it, and now he does again. And again, just a reminder in case you missed, that word perfect, he's not saying that you're going to be without sin, that you are going to live a sinless life. He's saying, no, that word perfect is you're going to be complete. You're going to be whole. The idea is spiritually mature. And so in chapter 1, he talked about, again, trials produce in us. When we experience difficult things, it can produce in us an enduring faith that leads us to being complete and whole and spiritually mature. Last week, we talked about it's the fruit of our life, our actions. They prove that our spiritual maturity, our faith is genuine. It proves that it's whole and complete. And now he writes this completeness This wholeness, this spiritual maturity is built upon our ability to control our mouth. James says to all of us, hey, you make mistakes, but control your tongue or it will control you. And then he moves into three illustrations of the power of the tongue. What's the first one? He uses an animal. He uses a horse. Now, if you're familiar with horses at all, and I'm sure you are, but a horse on average weighs about 1,000 pounds, 10 to 20 times the size of its rider. Well, how can a person control such a large animal like that? And James says you, you control it by a bit, and he references our tongue. So just like a horse is controlled, the rider can say he can move it to the left, move it to the right, to speed up, to slow down by this tiny small piece of metal that's in the horse's mouth, so too our tongue moves us. It can move us for good, it can move us for bad, this little tiny thing that's in our mouth. And then he moves and he gives us another illustration and he talks about ships. Ships, big barges are huge, metal and steel. But how, what controls the direction in which they go? The person who's operating uses a, a, a rudder. And when he steers, this rudder moves in the back. And so this very small rudder controls this huge thing. This week it re- reminded me as I was thinking about how a rudder controls a ship. When I was in college, me and a buddy were on a lake and we were riding uh, wave runners, jet skis. How many of you ever done that? You know, a lot of fun. They go really fast. And um, like any college buddies, we were out screwing around on the lake and having fun. And he paused in a distance and I, I have a great idea. I'm gonna go at him full throttle and I'm gonna spin and just, I just had this envision in my head. I'd cut it and water would just spray him completely wet. So, Worked great in my mind, so gunned it, going right at him, turned and cut, and then my hand slipped off. And all of a sudden, that rudder went like this, and it shot right at him and put a gash in the front of that sea-doo about this big. The same is true with our words. We have this great idea in our head, and we turn and we snap, and just like that, in one moment, We think something that's going to be fun and funny all of a sudden causes damage. 
And it puts a gash, not in a sea dew or a jet ski, but it puts a gash in those that we love in a relationship. And while the tongue only weighs about two ounces, it's the muscle in our body that gets the most amount of work. Many of you know the name Chuck Swindoll. I love what he said about the tongue. He called the tongue a two-ounce slab of trouble. (laughs) And it's true. It's tiny, like a bit in a horse. It's tiny, like a rudder on a ship, but it controls the way our life works. It controls what happens. And then James uses a final illustration, and he references the tongue as a fire or as a spark. He says, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire for it itself, for it is set on fire by hell itself. The tongue is a flame of fire. Notice Unlike other parts in the Bible, James does not say the tongue is like a fire. He says, no, it is a fire. It's not like a fire. It is a fire. There's no second guessing it. So don't minimize the tongue and your words' potential for harm. The fires we start with our mouths, how many know, can turn into infernos pretty quickly. Just like a small spark can ignite an entire forest, so too can cause, our words can cause relationships to go up in flames. Speaking of fire, where does this flame from our mouth come from? James says it comes from hell itself. Now hell there in the, in the Greek, if you were to read the original Greek text, it would not say hell, it would say Gehana. Gehana is a specific place which was the garbage dump of Jerusalem. It was located outside of the city and it was a place where garbage and refuge burned continuously. James is saying that sometimes when we speak it's as though raw sewage is coming from our mouths. It stinks up the joint and it causes pain. This place, Gehana, became a metaphor for the reality of an ever-burning fire of eternal torment. And it was referred to by Jesus 11 times in the gospel. And here's the main point. Our uncontrolled speech is set on fire by Satan himself. Satan loves to use our words to cause damage. Satan, his purpose is to steal, to kill... And to destroy. And what better way to do it than to get us to destroy and kill other people by the words that we say. How many churches have been split? How many marriages have been broken? How many relationships have been destroyed? How many businesses have faltered just because we've lost control of our speech? James says control your tongue or it will control you. Now that's not... Hard enough to absorb, James drops a bombshell when he reveals the probability of us actually being able to control our tongues. Look at this in verse 7. He says, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Now, we humans have done an amazing job of learning how to tame animals. We will pay money and take our kids to go to the circus 
to see lions and tigers and bears and birds and monkeys do all of these crazy things that we stand in astonishment and go, that is amazing. How did they get that big beast to do that? We'll go to SeaWorld and see the dolphins jump out of the water and through hoops and big whales come out all for tiny fish. And we're like, how do you get people to do that? Many of us have dogs at home and we use treats and we're proud of Chico and Checkers when they can play dead and roll over and bark. And it's like we are great at taming animals. And James is like, yeah, human beings, you've been pretty good at that. But this little thing in your mouth, we cannot tame. And he even goes on to say, no one can tame the tongue. Well, this is an encouraging message, Pastor Allen. You just got telling me what damage it can do. And if you don't control the tongue, it's going to control you. And now you're telling me the Bible says that no one can tame the tongue. Well, notice that James doesn't say that it's not possible for the tongue to be tamed. He's just saying, you don't have the ability to do it. I don't have the ability to do it. He's not saying it can't be done. He's just saying we don't have the power within us to control our tongue. We need outside help. The bad news is you can't do it on your own. The good news is Jesus desires to help us. And we need his help. It's that important. The psalmist wrote, oh Lord, I'm calling to you. Please hurry, listen when I cry for your help. Accept my prayer as incense offered unto you in my upraised hands as an evening offering. And then he said, take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. The psalmist said, God, would you help me? Would you take control of the words that I use? Would you set a defense, a perimeter? Would you help me guard my mouth? Because I know I can't do it on my own. You can't control the tongue on your own. But it needs to be controlled. As we get towards the end of this, I I do want to talk and give you five ways in which I believe the Bible demonstrates that we need to tame our tongue. We can't do it on our own, but the Bible gives us some help. It's the Holy Spirit's work in us, but we have a part to play as well. And as I'm talking about this, I really want to remind us, the internet was not around when James wrote his letter. Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and online news feeds, there wasn't a digital world in James' time. But... I'm guessing here, but I'm pretty sure I'm right, that if James was preaching, he would also include the way we speak, what we do with our fingers, or what we do with this. How many of you know what we say online can be sometimes even more damaging than what we say through the actual lips of our mouth? Not a lot of amens here, but I'm preaching the truth to you. What you post, what you say digitally, In fact, sometimes people are far more bold to do it behind a screen and a phone because they don't have to be in front of a person. So when we're talking about speech, recognize it's the things that you write, it's the things that you post as well. Five ways in which I believe the Bible helps us shape our tongue and control it. First of all, it's to recognize that we need God's help and to repent for the sins of our mouth. If you don't recognize that your mouth needs help, There's no point of going any further. Some of us, and James talks about this. We read it aloud together. 
we come in on a Sunday morning or a, or a Saturday night and we use our mouths to sing, great are you, Lord, great is thy faithfulness. And then we leave this place and our mouth goes back to the dirty self that it was before we came in. And James says, brothers and sisters, that should not be so. One moment you shouldn't be using your mouth to glorify and edify God and the next moment tearing your brother down. So we have to recognize that our mouth is in need of help. And we need to recognize, as James says, that we can't fix it on our own. And we need to repent of those things. Here in a few moments as we close, I'm going to give you an opportunity to think back over today and over this past week and the damage that maybe your mouth has caused and give you an opportunity to repent to God before that. But the good news is that God wants us and he always wants us to bring our weakness, our brokenness, our inability to be better to him. And this includes our inability to control our mouth. We need to repent and acknowledge. The second thing is we need to value silence. Many of us would do well to simply recognize the importance of not speaking. Not everything needs commentary from us. And man, we've lost that as a society. We've lost that in the church. James 1.19, we didn't talk about this in week one, but this is included in that first chapter. He says, understand this, brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen. Slow to speak, slow to get angry. If you want to be fast in a response, let your response be I mentioned we live in a world and a society, we just feel the need to comment on everything. And let me tell you, the church doesn't need to comment on everything. Christians don't need to comment on everything. <laughs> I, a couple weeks ago I mentioned and I, I've been praying and just paying attention to what God's doing in Kentucky at Asbury University and the revival, renewal, outpouring, whatever it is you want to call it. And, and I just, I've been amazed, even at Christ followers in the church and our need to give commentary on what God's doing now. Well, is it a revival? Is it not a revival? Is it a real? Well, we'll know by its fruit and know it's an outpouring and it's there's and I'm like, I'm sorry, but who cares? And who made us? Who gave us the authority to speak into all that? Can we stand back and just watch and thank God that a bunch of college students are on their knees praying? We pray for this next generation. We want to see them pray and move closer to God. Then they do it, and then we need to judge and feel a need to speak into everything. Just stand back and all and pray and let God move and watch. Sometimes silence is the good thing. Proverbs says this, even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouth shut, they seem intelligent. I don't need to say anymore. The third one is watch your tone. How many know sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it? And I think my wife and daughter are in this service, and so this is one for our house, starting with me. Sometimes it's not what I say, it's how I say it. God wants us to watch our tone. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words are what make tempers flare. Our tone matters. How we say things matter, which leads us to a really good one. Think before you speak. 
pause and ask, is what I'm about to say going to build up? Is what I'm about to say going to speak peace into the situation? Am I adding hope to this situation? Am I adding joy to this situation? Or is what I'm about to say going to tear down and discourage? The heart of the godly think carefully before speaking. The mouth of the wicked overflows with evil words. And here's the last one. Our mouths need to be filled with worship and praise. Now, some of you may, what does worship and praise, praise and worship have to do with controlling our tongue? I believe it has everything to do with controlling our tongue. There's a verse in Ephesians. I love Paul's words in Ephesians 5, and many of you know these words and you've thought about them. I never made the connection to Paul's words here in Ephesians 5 with our ability or inability to control our tongue or the Holy Spirit's work in that. Look at this. You may remember he wrote, be careful how you live. He's talking about our actions, okay, what we do. Can't live like fools. We need to live like those who are wise. We need to make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. He says, don't act, don't do things thoughtlessly. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. And here's where he shifts. And he says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. How many of you know, what's one of the first things that goes when someone becomes drunk? How many bar fights have happened? Because somebody got drunk and they spew off. Okay? So he's saying, don't get drunk. It's going to ruin your life. But instead, here he goes talks about be, the power of being filled with the Holy Spirit. James tells us we, ha, we don't have the ability to control our tongue. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's work in our life. He is the one that has the ability to control our tongue. So be filled with the Holy Spirit, but then watch how he, Paul shifts. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and sing. Use your mouth to sing psalms, sing hymns, sing spiritual songs among yourselves. Make music to the Lord in your hearts. And then he goes back to the mouth. Give thanks to everything, for everything, to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you are, let your mouth, let the overflow of your heart. Jesus said, it's, it's, it's from our heart which the mouth speaks. So when we are filled with the Spirit and our mouth is filled with thanksgiving, our mouth is filled with praise and worship, it will affect the things that we do. And that's the same thing James is saying. If you can't control your mouth, don't expect the other areas in your life to be under control. That is the Holy Spirit's work in our life. find it interesting that in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came, came with tongues of fire. The Holy Spirit desires to sanctify that two-ounce slab of trouble in our mouth. <laughs> Would you stand to your feet today? The best response I believe that we could have is we examine our own hearts and we pray is that we take a few moments and we respond and we use our mouths and worship unto God. So in these next few moments, I just want to encourage you, Pastor Christian, just lead us. Take this moment. 
regardless of the words that you've said this morning, yesterday, or this past week, right now, use your tongue to glorify and to give thanks to God. Let's do that together. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. Pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you. Come on, lift your voice. Just sing it again. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. Pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you. Right now, where you are in your own words, can we just fill this place with words that edify God, that are glorious to Him, that give thanksgiving to Him, that acknowledge who He is? Thank you, Jesus. You are holy. You are good. You are worthy of all of our praise. We thank you for your grace and your kindness, your goodness, your mercy, for the blood that was shed for us, for the sin of our mouth. Even now we repent, God. Lord, forgive us for our tone. Forgive us for gossip. Forgive us for lying. Forgive us for sowing discord. Forgive us for arguing. Forgive us for blasphemy. Forgive us, Lord, for for, uh, broken relationships and discouragement. Forgive us for not speaking hope in the name of Jesus, Lord. We need you today. We recognize our need for the Spirit of God to move in our mouth. Hmm. Right where you're at, I want us to close today by doing this. Lay hands on your own mouth. (laughs) Come on. Father, two-ounce slab of trouble that can cause fires and furnos in marriages, in the relationships with our kids, at work, in the body of Christ. God, I pray that your spirit would sanctify our tongue. Lord, even this week, if it's possible, Lord, when we go to sin against you, I'd pray there'd be a burning sensation in our mouth. Lord, I pray for broken relationships that you would begin to heal and mend. Lord, put in the hearts. Lord, if there, if there needs to be forgiveness, if there needs to be um, ask forgiveness, if there needs to be repentance in marriages and relationships at work or in the, in the home, whatever it may be, God, I pray that that would happen this week. May we be a people who... Lord, just use our mouths more to glorify you than to tear others down. Do that in us, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen.
Hey, as you go this week, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Um, James says we all make mistakes, and we will make a mistake. Uh, do not leave. The point of this message was not for you to leave and try harder. So then a try harder message. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit's got to do it in you. We have our part. We need to learn some things. But when you make that mistake, whatever it may be, whenever it comes, just pause when that person cuts you off. Lord, I'm sorry. And then I want you to move from being sorry to blessing and praying for that person. Use your mouth to glorify and edify. Would you commit to that this week and the days ahead? Amen. God bless you.